President Biden looks to bring down violent crime rising in major cities like Indianapolis. What's being done here locally to get illegal guns off the street? Marion County and the U.S. will miss their 4th of July vaccination goal. What both are doing about it? And we go one-on-one -on -one with the national RNC spokesperson talking diversity and this week's top story. Good Sunday morning. I'm Bob Donaldson in for Dan Spieler. This week, a lot happening in national politics. That includes a trip by Vice President Kamala Harris to the U.S.-Mexico border. On Friday, she toured a customs center. In the first few months of the Biden administration, record numbers of migrants have tried to cross the border. The vice president who Biden tasked with tackling the crisis has faced mounting criticism from members of both parties for waiting to make the trip until now. Also happening this week, on Thursday, President Biden reached a bipartisan deal on infrastructure. That plan calls for $1 trillion for roads, bridges, and buildings. President Biden had proposed a much broader spending package, but faced Republican resistance. By Friday, Republican senators had already raised concerns whether that money will really cover the costs of spending priorities. Now to the very latest on the coronavirus pandemic. COVID infection numbers and hospital and ER visits are trending down in Marion County. But Health Director Dr. Virginia Kane says she's still not ready to recommend removing the remaining coronavirus restrictions here. Right now, 39% of Hoosiers in Marion County are fully vaccinated. Dr. Kane says she wants that number up by 50% by the 4th of July. We still got two more weeks for you know, trying to knock it out of the park with our vaccinations and, and looking at our other metrics too. You know, when we see our hospitalizations, our ER visits almost go off the charts. Marion County's vaccination rate is lagging behind bordering counties. You can see on this map, Hamilton, Boone, Hendricks, and Hancock counties are all already above 50%. For now, restrictions in Marion County will stay the same. Marion County health leaders aren't the only ones with their eyes set on the 4th of July. Nationally, it's also the Biden administration's next vaccine goal. President Biden hopes 70 percent of adults would have received at least one dose of the vaccine by that date. This week, officials admitted they will not meet that goal. The reality is many younger Americans have felt like COVID-19 is not something that impacts them, and they've been less eager to get the shot. Now the White House is putting extra focus on vaccinating younger Americans. To date, about 65% of adults in the U.S. have received at least one vaccine dose. Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh visited the Indianapolis Motor Speedway earlier this week as part of a month of action by the White House to get Americans vaccinated. The secretary visited a pop-up vaccination clinic and stressed the importance of vaccination. He says the only way to get back to normal is for people to get vaccinated, and he used the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as an example. Other big news happening this week. Senate Republicans defeated a sweeping voting rights proposal by Democrats. In a vote split down party lines, Republicans voted not to proceed with the debate. The legislation would remove certain voting hurdles, restrict the influence of big money in politics, and reduce partisan influence over the drawing of congressional districts. Some Senate Republicans see the bill as federal overreach. This past week, Senator Mike Braun was asked about the voting rights bill in a video news conference this week 
with reporters. Our State House reporter, Kristen Eskow, was on that conference call. She joins us, and not surprisingly, Kristen Braun voted with his party on this bill. Yeah, that's right, Bob. Braun was critical of the bill, raising several concerns. We spoke with him, and he didn't seem very open to the idea of any federal law, really, regarding elections. It does not take the federal government, uh, you know, searching, you know, to find some way to change things where it was not intended to be that way constitutionally. Senator Mike Braun says he believes other states should model Indiana's election law without federal legislation like the failed For the People Act. This, number one, federalizes election law. Uh, it gets rid of uh, photo voter ID, ballot harvesting, federal financing to some extent of elections. But Braun says he does see room for compromise for another item on President Biden's agenda, infrastructure. Before Biden's endorsement of the Senate's bipartisan bill, Senator Todd Young voiced his support for the deal, but Braun hasn't taken a position on it. If you look at it and it has real pay-fors in there, not stuff that generally involves will pay for it years six through 10, and if it starts engaging, in the way we did back home with like our community crossings grants. I've proposed that as a way to let enterprising, financially sound states like Indiana have a greater share of federal dollars. If it starts incorporating some of that into it, I'm possibly gonna be for it. If it gets above that price tag of what we're talking about currently around a trillion, and it doesn't have clear pay-fors, I'll have to wear my fiscal hawk hat and I'll vote against it on that principle. As for federal spending on unemployment benefits, Braun believes the government was competing with businesses in recent months. When you have something out there like that crafted by the federal government, it doesn't make sense to extend it beyond any point in time when the indicators are you don't need it. So, Bob, we're still waiting for Braun's final decision on that infrastructure package, but he really emphasized to reporters he doesn't want to vote for anything that's going to deepen the federal deficit. Well, it's all about how to pay for it, right? And some of that is still unclear at this point, Kristen. Right, yeah, exactly. He wants to see how this is being funded, where that money's coming from, and then he says he'll decide. All right, much more to come on this story. Kristen Eskow, thank you. On Friday, a Marion County judge ruled Indiana must continue to pay federal unemployment benefits while a case is being settled. This comes after two groups filed a lawsuit to reverse the governor's decision to end the $300 a week benefit. And again, much more to come on this issue in the weeks ahead as well. President Biden announced that American cities can use some of their COVID Pandemic Recovery Act money to pay for anti-crime programs. Russ McQuaid talked with local and federal officials about how that additional money can be spent here in Indiana. In the last year, Mayor Hogsett has actually increased the budget for IMPD and community crime prevention programs. And now we'll take a second look at unspent Recovery Act money to see if it can be thrown into the campaign against crime. Indianapolis is on track to break its homicide and non-fatal shooting records for a second year in a row. That's why President Biden plans to let cities tap into unspent COVID relief money to fight crimes, something that was already being done in Indianapolis. We've been planning to use the money all along for violence reduction efforts. We use it for domestic violence, um, preventative initiatives, 
some mental health initiatives, housing insecurity, uh, food insecurity. The president is directing ATF to crack down on dealers who sell guns to illegal buyers. He also wants agents to curb the flow of guns into cities with more restrictive firearms ordinances. Finally, the president wants U.S. attorneys to work closer with local police and prosecutors to take more gun cases to federal court. Indianapolis already has a system in place that's helping with that last effort, the Crime Gun Intelligence Center, or CJIC. This year alone, the U.S. attorney has taken 20 cases developed by IMPD's CJIC. The center has also helped in cases beyond the Circle City. Our officers last year stopped an individual within a town. Uh, and arrested the person and found a gun and through the course of the investigation found the gun was used in a homicide in Indianapolis and some other non-fatal shootings. Next month, IMPD's CJIC program will invite participation by suburban departments like Carmel, Avon, and Zionsville. Russ McQuaid, Fox 59 News. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, the GOP is in town for a diversity leadership conference. We'll talk to the RNC spokesperson about the party's efforts to reach a more diverse base of voters. And our panel weighs in on the bipartisan infrastructure deal that's been reached. Will President Biden have enough votes? Welcome back to In Focus. This morning we are joined by the national spokesperson for the Republican National Committee, Paris Denard. Mr. Denard is in Indianapolis as part of the GOP's Diversity Leadership Conference. Mr. Denard, thank you very much for joining us. First of all, talk about those efforts that the party is, uh, is taking on right now to expand diversity amongst its base. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And Chairman Hufter, who's the uh, chairman of the Republican Party here, made a commitment back in 2018 when he won to expand the party here in Indiana. And what he wanted to do was make sure that we were more diverse uh, as a party and had engagement efforts. In 2019, he then hired Whitley Yates, and she came on board as the first director of diversity and engagement. And in that effort, she just really hit the ground running. And 2020, they launched this diversity leadership series. Uh, and it's, it, they meet monthly, and they're meeting with local officials and federal officials and, and Community, community people learning how to do the work of being in government, being in politics, and being effective in it. And so I'm here uh, for a wonderful part of their series where they are going to talk about a piece of legislation or a bill and how it impacts communities of color. And we, as communication experts, I've, I've been flown in from the RNC in D.C. to talk to them about honing in their message and how to be more effective in their communication styles. And then we'll pick who has the best uh, presentation. And then in a couple of months, they'll graduate from this series. About 15 uh, individuals, diverse individuals, who are participating in this, in this program. And it is part of what we are doing on a national level to expand our party, to engage with diverse groups of people, because we know that, per, that type of engagement is critically important. We appreciate you coming in. We also want to talk about some of the news that was made this week, uh, particularly on the infrastructure bill. As you know, the president has announced a compromise um, amongst the, the senators who were uh, debating and, and who were negotiating this compromise. How optimistic are you that this infrastructure bill is actually going to pass through Congress? And does this represent bipartisanship that maybe we didn't expect to see? Well, I think it's important for your listeners or your viewers to remember that this is the second group of Republican members that he met with. The first group, he stopped negotiating with them, 
and then he brought in the second group, and now he's claiming, uh, the president said, that he is not going to pass the bipartisan bill. He won't sign it by itself. It has to be this bill, the bipartisan bill, if it passes that way uh, through the Congress, and the other one that would have to go through reconciliation, which is a bigger package. And so uh, I'm not optimistic that he's serious about bipartisanship when he has already stated that it's his way or the highway. It has to be both, not an individual deal. And so um, he also talked about the fact that he trusts this group of Republicans, insinuating that he didn't trust the other group. So I'm not optimistic that he's, they're going to be very serious about actually having a bipartisan bill called to his desk. Do you think that the opposition is going to come from your side, from the Republican side, or is it going to be coming from more of the progressive side, the liberal side of the Democratic Party, that may be disappointed with the, at least the first infrastructure bill that the compromise was reached on. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of opposition from the Democrat Party. They're, they are not unified behind this administration on a whole host of things, especially this infrastructure package, because they wanted him to have something that's a lot bigger and a lot more robust, because they were saying everything is infrastructure. So they wanted to pay for a lot more and have it even be a trillion dollars more. And so you're going to see opposition, I believe, from Democrats and, of course, uh, opposition from Republicans as well. So I don't think this uh, deal, this so-called deal, is any by, by any means a show that this is going to get done. We only have a few seconds left, sure. but I did want to ask you about the uh, the voting rights bill that also failed to uh, to get passed the filibuster by the Republican Party. I mean, do you see any action on the federal level on any kind of voting rights legislation? Well, I tell you that S-1, H.R. 1 and S-1, was not the piece of legislation that the American people, and people especially in Indiana, would want to have the federal government coming in and telling them how to run their local elections. And so I think if there is going to be some type of reforms, it's gonna, it's, it can't be uh, the things that were found in H-1, H.R. Uh, 1 and S-1. That I can assure you. Paris Denard with the RNC. Thank you for taking the time to come in today. It's we appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you. All right, let's bring in our panel now to discuss some of these issues this week. We are joined by Robin Winston, former Indiana Democratic Republican uh, Democratic Party chairman, Mike Murphy, former Republican state representative, and Dr. Laura Wilson, political science professor at the University of Indianapolis. Robin, we'll start with you. What do you make of some of these efforts that the Republicans are making to increase diversity amongst its base? Well, first off, I think it's admirable. Um, that they're that they're doing it, but you know, to meet in a conference room and to talk about things doesn't matter. Here's what happened this past week: we had a chance to extend voting rights to really benefit all Americans. They wouldn't even let us have a, a, a procedural vote on. Uh, we have had nothing but malignment about making sure that people could vote. Now the U.S. Justice Department is on its way to Georgia to see what they've done there in draconian ways to prevent people from voting. You know, Maya Angelou says when somebody shows you who they are the first time, believe them. I'm believing them. And this, and we saw what they were all about. So the platitudes well, about commitment to diversity is nice for a training workshop. But over in the reality side of the aisle, they did not vote for voting rights. And that is essential to our democracy. He did say one other thing uh, that I did want to follow up on. And he talked about infrastructure. The very essence of government is to compromise. I don't think there's anything wrong with bringing people together to compromise. That's the bedrock and the hallmark of President Biden. All right, well, Mike, let's bring you into this discussion right now. I mean, do, we, do you think that there's going to be a, uh, an infrastructure bill that ultimately would get passed, either through budget reconciliation or through a, a more typical bill? 
Well, I think it's too early to tell, but I will tell you that bipartisanship does work. Um, I think Todd Young and the American Frontiers Act that he just put together with Senator Schumer is one example. Um, Todd is a, a model for bipartisanship, and I'm looking forward to the day when the rest of our, our Republican delegation, not just here in Indiana, but congressional delegation um, across the country actually decides to uh, become bipartisan as well. It does work. Well, Dr. Lur, I'll bring you in right now as well. I mean, very unusual that the president and also Nancy Pelosi would link both of these infrastructure proposals together, saying one can't happen without the other. That's not typically something we've seen in the past. No, it is different. It's very different. Um, but I think this tells you a little bit about the way that Biden's approaching this, in particular, his strategy. He has said multiple times it's not just about infrastructure. He's also talking about global warming. He's also talking about health care, that all of these things are important to the national interest. And obviously, Pelosi is following that lead. It, it's somewhat political risk, risky. It, it does have that um, that concern of what happens if one doesn't pass. If you if you say no, I, I support both. I have to have both, um, and that that risk can have fallback. That's what risk is all about. But uh, here in this case, certainly early in the administration, this is something that President Biden thinks he can take a chance on. And certainly in terms of uh, echoing what Mike and Robin have said, this can be an opportunity for success in terms of compromise. This is a great example of a way that Congress can do this and, and actually pass legislation that will impact all Americans. It's not red and blue, right? It really, truly, in terms of instruction, some of these other issues will impact everyone. No one will get everything they want, but everyone will get something. And that's the critical key compromise that, that you can see in this legislation. All right, I want to talk quickly in the few seconds we have left about vaccines. Robin, do you think that uh, Marion County will open up fully by the 4th of July? Many were surprised that Dr. Kane did not take those steps even now. I think in many ways it already has, um, but I believe that it will by the 4th of July. I believe that um, I believe we'll see that happen. Mike, what do you think? I mean, does the, uh, the uh, county health department run the risk of, of losing some credibility if they don't start opening up more quickly? Well, first of all, I have a lot of faith in Dr. Kane. I've known her for 35 years. Very sharp lady, very, very dedicated public servant. But I have to agree with Robin. I think events have passed her up in the sense that I haven't been into a restaurant or a bar or anything in the last few weeks where everybody hasn't already been mask-free and, you know, two feet away from each other. So... But I, I do have a lot of faith in her. I think she has a lot of integrity. All right. Our thanks to our panel, and we'll see you later for our Winners and Losers segment. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, after a ruling from the high court, college players can now get more education benefits. Does this open the door to paying college athletes? The U.S. Supreme Court hands down a unanimous victory for college athletes. The justices ruled the NCAA cannot limit education-related benefits for some players. Washington, D.C. correspondent Jesse Tenor has more from Washington, D.C. The case does not decide whether college athletes can receive salaries, but the justices said the education benefits could help better align their compensation to their value. While some say that's long overdue, others worry about the ramifications for other athletes. In a huge win for college athletes, the nation's highest court says the NCAA can no longer prevent schools from offering Division I basketball and football players additional benefits. 
like paid internships or free graduate school. Amateurism, as we know it, is long gone and it doesn't exist anymore. Massachusetts Congresswoman Lori Trahan played D1 volleyball at Georgetown and argues the NCAA has benefited on the backs of its athletes for years. I had to pick up shifts as a server uh, at you know local restaurants just to make ends meet, um, and that's ridiculous. That's why Trahan and other members of Congress, like Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal, hope the justice's ruling also paves the way to pay college athletes for their name, image, and likeness. For the athletes whose blood, sweat, and tears fuels a nearly $20 billion industry. But Lisa Delpy-Narati of George Washington University argues the ruling will force colleges to choose between increasing costs or cutting non-revenue sports to pay for the extra educational benefits. Today really is the beginning of professionalization of collegiate athletics. Matthew Mitten of Marquette University says lawmakers should get involved. And they propose what they think are some fair rules. And the players associations of the NFL, NBA, and WNBA had all urged the justices to side with the ex-athletes in the case, as did the Biden administration. In Washington, I'm Jesse Tenor. Jesse, thank you. In a statement, the president of the Indianapolis-based NCAA says even though the decision does not directly address name, image, and likeness, the NCAA remains committed to supporting those benefits for student athletes. Stay right here, winners and losers. Coming up next. Time for this week's winners and losers. Robin Winston, we'll start with you. Uh, my heart and prayer and prayers go out to those in Florida tonight that while we're at home, are going to be digging through the debris of a collapsed building. The search and rescue teams down there are the ultimate winners. Anybody that they can find that they can bring back would be tremendous. What a tremendous effort on their part. Mike Murphy, you're up next. Only a winner. It has to be Jim Morris this week, who was the recipient of the Governor's Sachem Award. I could spend a whole half hour talking about the great things he's done for our city, for our state, for the world. I'll only mention one. He led the World Food Program for five years, fed millions of children around the world. He's my winner this week. Well said. All right, Laura Wilson, you're up next. Okay, I generally support the Supreme Court as the winner, but more specifically, Associate Justice Stephen Breyer in the decision that affirms freedom of speech for students. He talked about schools being nurseries of democracies, and I think it's very important that we protect freedom of speech at all costs in this country. Thanks for joining us this week. Much more on our podcast. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.